Do you own firearms? Did you know there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Well, meet muzzlestick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzlestick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a quick way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. And that could save lives. Are you one of the nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection, taking an extra safety precaution by using muzzle sticks, big, bright barrel and chamber flags will let everyone around your firearm know if it is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some firearm owners do. Clearly marking a gun status communicates to others around that may or may not have firearm handling experience that it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags give firearms rapid and clear identification, which could result in saved lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owners. Head over to muzzlestick.com. That's M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today to place your order. After all, we all only have but one life. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show, the traditionalist. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. We are recording today, September 11th, Saturday, a somber day for America. 20 years ago today, a terrible thing happened to America. We don't like to call it an anniversary personally because there's some sense of celebration to that word, but a grim, grim day and a grim aftermath. And the namesake of this show will be discussing his thoughts on 9-11 and many other subjects. Victor Davis Hansen is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. He's also the Wayne and Marsha Busk Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College, where Victor is right now. After He's just finished two weeks of teaching there. I happen to be in Maine. On the show today, we'll discuss Joe Biden's vaccination mandate Afghanistan. There are still Americans there. Biden's purge of military academies. So let's get talking about 9-11. But first, there's this important message. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. A little more Victor Bio coming up in a few minutes. But Victor today, again, is 20 years ago today, terrible thing happened to America in New York. 
in uh, Washington and in Somerset, Pennsylvania, but I think throughout the nation. Victor, you're a teacher. If you had to grade America, if, if that's even possible, or look at it another way if you want, but if you had to grade America's reaction and response, the appropriateness of it, its understanding of what happened and how it dealt with what happened on September 11, 2001, what kind of grade might you give America? Well, much higher than I would over the last three weeks. By that, I mean, if you and I had this conversation on August, maybe July 15th, we would say that we removed the Taliban with congressional and UN authorization in six weeks in late 2001. And then we hadn't really been in a major combat role since 2015. We hadn't lost a soldier in the last 18 months, and we were down to about 3,500. And even though we had transitioned from our tripartite mission, which was get rid of the Taliban, two, make sure you can create the conditions where they can't come back in, and three, make sure it's not a haven for Al-Qaeda or its subsequent manifestation, ISIS, we did pretty well until recently. No need to get into that mess again. We did pretty well on not allowing a terrorist operation of that magnitude. We've had the San Bernardino terrorists. We've had the Sarnet brothers, Fort Hood, et cetera, maybe 20 or 30 of these, but not a finely tuned major plan. We also, I think, for a while, agreed that radical Islam did not have legitimate grievances against the United States, that there was larger frustrations with modernism or um, the world was leaving them by or their people in these areas through the Internet or Dish TV, we're seeing that life was pretty good in Japan, Korea, South Korea, China, even the Western Hemisphere, but it wasn't. And so bin Laden then created these grievances, you know, everything from women walking around in Mecca without long sleeves to global warming. He had them all. Raymond Ibrahim and his bin Laden meter has a good list of them. I think there's 19 of them. The point I'm making is that they didn't have legitimate grievances. Now, 20 years later, Iraq is in better shape. That was the bad war, remember? And Afghanistan was the good war. Uh Iraq is in much better shape than Afghanistan will be. And we lost Afghanistan. We were humiliated. The 20 years went down the drain. And we're in a much more precarious place after 20 years than we were before 9-11. Victor, isn't Afghanistan run by now by professional and business-like people? <laughs> That's the soft Taliban view, isn't it? All yeah. of a sudden, we heard General McKenzie, our CENTCOM commander, say, you know, we have the same, same agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I really don't like it when these four stars, they charge up to the podium, they get this husky voice, they get all these medals, and then they sometimes in combat gear, and they the same thing. And then they just give us milk toast. I'd much rather have a soft-spoken guy who just said, you know, they're no good damn blood-killing terrorists. We can't trust the sons of bitches. We got ourselves in a jam. But this guy, you know, well, we have the same agenda as they do. We want to get out by the 31st, so they do. We have, you using them with security, I'm thinking, you just lost 13 Americans for nothing. Mm-hmm. And they don't have your agenda. They want you to be humiliated, humiliated. Don't you have any idea that these hostages are going to be 
popping up, that Afghans supporters are going to be popping up. They're going to behead this woman, that guy, all through the next year. And then there's going to be ISIS and there's whatever these people call themselves, Al-Qaeda, ISIS.20. I don't know. But they're all going to show there and they're going to be selling weapons, conventional weapons to Iran. They're going to sell for reverse engineering any sophisticated weapons they have. They're going to go through the entire population. Why you people in the Pentagon all of you are telling us that this is a soft, nice, kinder, gentle Taliban. And you're doing that not because you believe it, but because Joe Biden has told you to say that. He's told his team, has told Secretary Austin, who's told you guys. And you want to go out and not be fired so you can go back to Raytheon, you can go back to General Dynamics, you can go back to Lockheed. And you really have to have some integrity to tell the truth that the Taliban is not our ally is not our friend, is not a neutral, it is an existential enemy. It has been. It's responsible for killing Americans on 9-11. It'll do it again if it gets a chance. So don't lie to us. And that's what's really getting upsetting for Americans to hear this the new fuzzy Taliban story. In practical terms, Victor, if a colonel retired for whatever reason, including in resentment for opposition to a policy that the commander in chief has taken. A career officer in the military does not leave the military to destitution, to reasonable retirement, let's just say that in practical terms. And I would think, a, especially if you're a two-star or three-star general uh, that sees an administration taking terrible actions that will hurt America, could resign. But no one's resigned. Not a single person has resigned. They could resign. That They won't go hungry if they resign. But I'm just echoing things you have said on past podcasts. There just seems to be a real material greed here that is overwhelming any sense of honor. Well, I'm not demanding they resign. I'm just demanding somebody speak up. So we were told that the Uniform Code of Military Justice that says clearly you cannot disparage the commander in chief, even when you're didn't apply anymore. Okay, so Michael Hayden, you know, let's send those Trump on vax people back to Afghanistan. Ha ha. Or Stanley McChrystal, this guy's a liar. Ha ha. Or Hayden, oh, Trump's uh, cages on the border are like Auschwitz. Ha ha. Another person, very senior, Trump uses Nazi like tactics. Ha ha. Or General McChrystal in the McChrystal group. And Admiral McRaven, General McCaffrey, he's Mussolini. Okay, they were very loud when Trump did a photo op and the lie promulgated that he had tear gassed people to clear out of Lafayette Square, I think on June 7th of last year. We haven't heard a peep. Where is General McCaffrey? Where is General McChrystal? Where is General Petraeus? Where is all of these people? Are they saying now? Why, I can't say anything. That's a contrary to the code of military justice. You can't speak out if you're a retired four-star against your commander-in-chief. I think that's what they're saying. Or you may be right. They're all so intertwined in the corporate world, they don't want to dare say something that might endanger their billets on these woke boards. And they're all woke, not because they believe in woke, but because they believe that other people believe that have power to make them rich. And so it's a very corrupt system. And at some point, we're in a parallel universe to the U.S. military between 1975 and 1990, where we had been humiliated in Vietnam. We had all sorts of problems in the volunteer army. We had rampant drug use. We had racial tension. 
And finally, a new group of officers came up, the captains and majors, and that we got rid of all of those ossified dinosaurs. And somebody has to do the same thing because these people are going to get us killed. And when they get on television and say Bagram wasn't the preferable base, you got to be out of your mind. Anybody that looks at an aerial photograph of the two places knows that's not true. They know it's not true. Or they'll say, well, there was training cost with the $85 billion and it was aggregate over 20 Okay. So we spent a lot of money training them to use these deadly weapons that water worth 35 or 40 billion and they're depreciating the state without the training cost. So nobody just says this is a disaster. These people have incredible amount of weapons. They're the best armed terrorist nation in the history of civilization. We did this. It was a mistake. We're not going to talk anymore about routing out white supremacists or whiteness or white rage. That's over with. We, we can't afford it. We're not going to wave a pride flag from diplomatic centers anymore, embassy. We're not going to brag about our gender studies program. All of that is the cultural imperialism of a winning power that has defeated and humiliated the enemy and either wants to rub their noses in it with this weird postmodern culture that we're promulgating or they're indifferent and stupid, and they think that makes a traditional Islamic society like them more, or they don't care, and they're just arrogant. Whatever it is, that's not us. We have been military defeated on the battlefield, and the battlefield being Kabul. We have abandoned our equipment. We have abandoned our friends. We have abandoned Americans, and we have abandoned our allies. And we fled toward the exits, and we got 13 people blown up. And we got to really adjudicate things. We've got to say, we don't have time for flags. We don't have time for gender studies. We don't care whether the refugees are landing and have culturally sensitive food. We're not going to answer questions to reporters wanting to know the gender ratios on the flights between men and women. All of that is superfluous. We got to win. That's our job is to defeat the enemy on the battlefield and create deterrence. They can't do that. So if they can't do the primary objective, they do everything under the sun, and not very well either. Well, Victor, there are some generals and uh, retired officers who are taking it on the chin. And we'll talk about that in one second. I do want to remind our uh, listeners to visit your website, victorhanson.com. There is a boatload of original content there that if you now subscribe to the premium service, you can read Historian's Corner, Optimism, Eeyore, Angry Reader, a whole range of uh, features of, again, original content that you cannot read anywhere else. That's at uh, victorhanson.com. I believe there's well over a thousand in very few weeks, folks already subscribing. So it's uh, doing terrifically and they're getting their money's worth. Speaking of getting your money's worth on the website, you'll find a link for the Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America. That book is a sure to be bestseller by Victor. It will be out formally and officially the first week of October. Order it now and it will arrive at your home on publication week. So that's victorhanson.com. So Victor, there has been a purge of some of these oversight boards of the military academies of select officers, such as General Jack Kelly, who I find that guy incredibly uh, admirable. I forget the official name of the board of West Point, nonpartisan, just men and women who love the institutions. And because they 
are not died in the wool Bidenites or have been a little critical. They have been asked to resign, or if they did not receive the resignation the day of the request, they were being terminated. A very unusual, very bold action by the Biden administration. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yes. I'm a big admirer of Jack Keane, but I noticed your teary voice when you got the Irish connection. I thought you were going to start humming Gary Owen. Or something. <laughs> well, that is the theme song to one of our podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <so>. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, our colleague at the Hoover Institution, H.R. McMaster, was relieved of his duties at West Point, even though he had been an instructor, three-star general, the hero of the greatest tank battle since the Yom Kippur War and the first Gulf War. And apparently in the strategic mind of Joe Biden, he's not qualified to adjudicate problems that crop up. These advisory boards, you know, entrusted in a congressional mandate to discuss matters of controversy, uh, paradoxes, dilemmas. And so they're an active board. But this is what the left does. I was on the American Battle Monuments Commission. It's about as nonpartisan, oversees 50 cemeteries or so all over the world. When I went on it in 2007, they were not partisan. And yet, when Barack Obama was elected on January 21st, I got a letter and saying you, just like they did, it said you are now relieved of all of your duties and you will turn in your passport. They gave everybody a diplomatic because we, we were supposed to go to the uh, cemeteries abroad. I did, but never on the government expense. But my point is, that's what they do. The same thing when they abolished the 1776 commission. And But when you go on to those commissions in a Republican administration, a lot of times you see Democrats on. I think we got to remember that this is not uh, Harry Truman. This is not JFK. We've said it again and again. This is not Bill Clinton. We're getting a glimpse of the old hard left. Mm-hmm. The, the people that's, that surround himself in the State Department, the DOJ, around uh, new dealers, the hardcore socialists around FDR. These are the people around Barack Obama that didn't quite get their moment. And now they've got a cognitively challenged artifact and uh, they think they can just, they've got a brief moment. They know people don't like them. They know people don't like their agenda. They cannot believe themselves they're in power and they are going to do everything they can. These are totalitarians. I don't mean that just that they want to, use every ounce of government power, but they're 360 revolutionaries, they're Jacobins, they're cultural Maoists. So when they're in Afghanistan, they got to get that flag up, pride flag. They got to get that gender studies up. When they get in, they're going to get these people off those academies. And you and I know who are going to go on them because the people who are talking, who fired them are all politicals. And they're going to as sure as the sun rises, they're going to say, we need more gender studies. We need more critical race theory. We need more critical legal theory. That's what it's about. These people are lidless eyes. They never sleep. Right. And they get up in the morning thinking, I've got to change America because it's rotten. And they go to bed at night saying, I didn't do enough to change America or yes. what they call fundamentally transforming. So yeah, we're in a revolution. We got to wake up. These people are, they're not going to have a respite. They right. Remember, we're talking about all of these issues. I don't want to go off topic, but they can put a a pride flag on the embassy in Kabul. And under their direction, they can paint George Floyd murals on the streets and walls in Kabul. But one thing they can't do, Jack, is they can't say one word when a white racist woke demonstrator puts on a gorilla mask and throws an egg at an African-American candidate for governor. 
and throws an egg on them. Not one of them, not one op-ed writer in the New York Times, not one NPR commentator, not one PBS grandee can say that is despicable. That is Neanderthal racism. How dare you do that? No DA. They can talk all about letting go people who shoot and kill and rape and maim, but not one person can say that thrower, that's a hate crime. If, they're, if, they're, if that's not a hate crime, there is no hate crime. Why don't they arrest her? And they won't do it because it's, it's an ideological agenda. And Joe Biden just the other day said, boy, when he was down in Louisiana, I have a boy here to work at. If anybody else had said that. Oh, my gosh. They yeah. take out woke insurance and the military <laughs> takes out woke insurance. And we're starting to see the price of it. When you take out woke insurance and you create different standards and different applicabilities of the law, then this great nation starts to slowly grind to a halt. And all of this stuff's connected. All of it is. The open border, thousands of people coming in, no COVID tests, the mess in Afghanistan, this cannibalism over critical race theory, racial tensions, wokeness. It's going to have economic ramifications very soon, if not foreign relation problems. It's not just going to be a part of the game that we've been playing. It's right. Just- Figure your analogy, Marcus of Queensbury rules, and they're bringing, you know, bazooka to a knife fight. It's just uh, crazy. Or it's not crazy. It should be expected. The uh, lame reaction of many Republican leaders and, and many alleged conservative leaders surprised by all this is kind of amazing. Victor, we've got a little time left, so let's spend it talking about Joe Biden's vaccine mandate. He gave a a speech the other day, very hostile. I'd like to break this into four areas. If you can take them separately, fine. If you want to talk about them all at once, so be it. And you'll remember the four. The first is the mandate itself, your thoughts on that. The second is the fact that the president felt he was empowered to make such a mandate with such weird exceptions, you know, for federal government workers, except the postal workers, the people who are actually around, you know, spreading things, they're exempt. So this bizarre, though, uh, disconnect from constitutional powers, his contempt, it seems, I'll use contempt, of federalism, these governors, we're just going to run over them if anyone tries to stand in the way of this mandate. And finally, his contempt of American citizens and tens of millions of them. Hillary called them deplorables. Joe Biden didn't, but I think his tone and anger was uh, worse yeah. than Hillary's. So take them all at once, separately, or however you want, Victor. Yeah, Joe called, remember, he called them the dregs and the chumps. But look what he's doing. He did the same thing with the CDC. The CDC is not elected. It has nothing to do with the economic free markets of the United States. And yet, for some reason, the CDC thought that it could cancel contractual contracts between a landlord and a tenant and say, because of COVID, these people are in dire danger of coming out of their homes. So they, even though they were living in them 24 hours a day, they're not going to pay rent. And that was extended. And he fought that when the court said, you know, it's time to stop that. And he said, it may be, it may be unconstitutional, but we'll see. I'll give them more time. And that's his attitude, that he is not bound by a court ruling. This is so ironic because everybody said Donald Trump was a threat to the Constitution. He didn't do any of this. 
And the threat to this constitution doesn't come with guys that are crass and loud and right wing. It comes from subtle, mellifluous leftists who say we, you know, we're smarter than the constitution. We're more just. We're not. We just want people to have equity. And that's what he's doing. And as far as his mandate, he's telling now businesses with over 100 employees, this is what you're going to do. We don't do it with. I don't know, H1N1, we don't do it with flu shots, we don't do it with outbreaks of West Nile virus, but we do it with this. Even though, and this is what I'm getting to now, Jack, if you look at the dead and the caseloads in these hot spots, we're starting to get over the hump. We've got about 100 plus million people having been infected with the Delta variant or the earlier variant, and they have antibodies. And then we're up to about 62% of the country. Some of this is an overlap that have vaccinations. It will not prevent absolute infections, but they, the vast majority, I think the Wall Street Journal said one in 5,000 will become seriously ill. So here, let's just keep that in mind. And what does that translate with this mandate? It really says, I, Joe Biden, do not care if you have gotten COVID. I know that I told you that we'd all be out on 4th of July, but that's inoperative. And I know that I told you that vaccinations work far better than acquired, but that's out now. That's no longer operative. So even though you may have gotten COVID, you 100 million people, you are going to have to get a vaccination, not because of science, because Joe Biden says so, or not Joe Biden. Somebody says this to Joe Biden who says it to us. Second, and I'm going to keep haranguing you people. I've had it. And then his legions get on Twitter and Facebook, and it's always some archetypical, typical Michigan rural residents, Southern Ohio, toothless white man, losers, deplorables. And when you actually just take a deep breath and again, follow the science, who are the people? I hate to say it, but in terms of at least percentages, maybe not actual numbers, Asians are the most ready to be vaccinated. They're vaccinated at a higher rate of any group, but not far behind are white people who make up 70% of the population. Right. And then it's Latinos who are not proportionally vaccinated. And African-Americans have the, the lowest ratio. So in, a, in an empirical world, when Joe Biden says all this stuff, people would say, why are you focusing and targeting African-Americans? Because that's what you're doing. They have by far the fewest rates of vaccinations of any major ethnic or racial group, and yet you keep focusing on. Instead, we're in la-la land as if there are these, all these mythical white people that don't have any vaccinations because, you know, Michael Hayden wants to put them back in Afghanistan. The second thing is, and this is important, so we have these groups, and we know people that have the vaccinations are not going to get exemption. We also know that young men, and this is now not my view or some crackpot article on the internet, this is the truth, it's everywhere. Young men have about the same or a little bit more risk, it's not a great risk, of heart issues from getting the vaccination than the site than getting COVID. In other words, if, you, if you're a young man between 18 and 25 or 18 and 30 and you get COVID, you've got a about 6% might have some side effects. I think it's even less than that, 0.6, I'm, I'm, I think. But if you get a vaccination, you'll get a little higher. And so what he's saying is all you people are going to get vaccinated that are young and in college, 
but you're going to take a greater risk from the COVID factor by getting vaccinated than you would just getting it. So I don't think it would be good to say which racial group is less vaccinated because that would be a bad thing to do. So I'll lie about it. I don't think I should tell you that if you have antibodies, you're better protected because I think it'd be better for you to be lied to. I don't think I should tell young people that have to be vaccinated now that they're going to run a greater risk from the vaccination they would from COVID. And then we come to the last topic. As he's speaking and yelling and losing his temper, and why is he doing this, Jack? He's doing this because he hit 39% in the YouGov poll mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Friday. And Afghanistan is a disaster, and the border is a disaster, and inflation is much higher than anybody anticipates, getting up to 7%, and economic growth was much lower, and the, the jobs report was not good. And his little advisors got on the table and said, Joe, you got to be fighting Joe Biden from Scranton and you've got to take all of this unhappiness and you've got to target it at those white working class deplorable Neanderthals and get after them and make them get vaccinated. Maybe we'll get some good photo ops when they're resisting or they're, you know, a guy on a tractor or American flag with no teeth. And this is what we got to do now. And that's what he's doing. But why he's doing this, once again, you mentioned citizen. I mentioned this in the Dying Citizen, the book that comes out on October 5th, that We treat citizens far worse than we do non-citizens, because as we are speaking, we have flown in about 110,000 Afghan refugees, and they're landing at our military bases, and they're not required to be vaccinated. That was asked at the press conference. But if you're in the military, and you're a U.S. citizen, and you are escorting them on a plane, you're going to have to get vaccinated, and maybe... We don't have a vaccination? No. Is it because we're worried about side effects? No. Why is it then? Because we're more worried about their cultural sensitivities or their reaction to a vaccination than we are about our own soldiers. And now we turn to the border. Two million people are scheduled to cross in the fiscal year that we're in the middle of. Two million people. When they get across the border, they're not being vaccinated. They're not being tested. And so once again, we're saying to the U.S. citizen border patrol people, ICE, all these communities along the border, we don't really give a damn about you people. You may be citizens, but we're not going to ask of non-citizens what we're demanding of you. I just think that all this is untenable. It's absolutely untenable. And people are going to get very angry. Has nothing to do with whether a person should get, I've, I've gotten the vaccine. Everybody in my family's got the vaccination. I urge everybody to get it. And those are people who have had COVID antibodies. And those are young people who can make a wise choice about relative risk. Those are people who have physical conditions that it would make worse. But this idea that I'm he-man Joe Biden and I'm going to go after corn pop who doesn't get vaccinated, that's what we're at. And I'm sick of that braggadocio. Right. He used the same braggadocio last year, Victor. We've talked about this on previous podcasts where he and Kamala Harris are the two people I think most responsible for suppressing that at the time. Absolutely. Growing happiness or pleasure. My gosh, there was uh, some medical solution coming. And who suppressed it? Candidate Joe Biden and candidate. He said he didn't want anything to do with it and uh, a Trump vaccination and it would be rushed for political purposes. And Kamala Harris said, If it has anything to do with Donald Trump, I'm not getting it. And the only politicization of that vaccination was on the part of the Pfizer board that knew 
in late October, it was going to work, late September, it was going to work. And then they delayed the announcement to late October. And then they said they weren't sure. And they communicated, the member of the board did with the Biden campaign, but not with the Trump presidency. And then lo and behold, about six days after the election, wow, we're here at Pfizer to announce, we just discovered just today, these vaccinations work. And the left just keeps doing it and doing it and doing it. And we're all supposed to say, wow, I guess we just better get up in line and we got to go down to the local fairgrounds and line up and we're going to get this new one. And then another six months, we'll line up again and get a new one. And we don't really care whether you have antibodies. We don't care if your racial group is overrepresented, underrepresented. We don't care whether there's thousands, even millions of people flocking in this country with infections that we don't dare ask to test or we don't dare ask them to be vaccinated doesn't matter it's almost as if the citizen is in a worse is treated worse than the foreigner when you start to think about it i mean the foreigners can go across the border anytime they want without a passport most of those people coming in don't have passports from afghanistan you and i come to the airport and say oh i lost my passport uh, if you're coming to the united states right now you're going to have to be tested for covid if you walk across the border, you don't. Mm -hmm. And so something is terribly wrong with this country. Yeah. Well, people, so people, the, the people, the people are going to have to wise up and really right. try to organize and vote. Because the people calling the shots, they essentially hate the country. And I think that's it at its core. So, so Victor, that's just about all the time we have today. A couple of notes, and I'd like to refer to one comment. Again, your website is victorhanson.com. Encourage our listeners to visit it and to subscribe to the very affordable uh, premium service, which gives you access to a treasure trove of original material that you've written, Victor. And you are a writing machine and you write a lot, a lot of content all the time. I don't know how you do it, but it's there and accessible. So folks, go to victorhanson.com. As for myself, Jack Fowler, I think I forgot to say I'm the director of the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic, and we have a relatively new newsletter called Civil Thoughts. I write it. It's weekly. It's free. It's emailed, and you can get it. Sign up free, totally free, civilthoughts.com. Thank you if you do that. And also thank you if you listen to this podcast and you subscribe. Of course, subscribe to whatever service platform is best for you. But if you subscribe through iTunes, please consider leaving a five-star review for the wisdom that Victor provides on the traditionalist and the other podcasts that we do under the Victor Davis Hanson show. That includes the classicist and with the great Sammy Wink, the culturalist. Victor, there is a worthwhile message left. One of the reviews, five-star review from 75 capped CAPT who left this the other day and it's titled airline dysfunction as a retired airline captain. I believe Victor Davis Hanson nailed it with regard to the current state of airline travel. There is an obvious shortage of fuel and ramp personnel. There is no doubt a shortage of well-trained pilots, dispatchers, mechanics, and flight attendants, unless this changes flight safety will ultimately be compromised. I hope the airline CEOs are listening. Victor, we're going to record another podcast today. But no, after that, you're going to have to eventually get into another airplane and do some more traveling. So I hope we've heard the last of the terrible 
times you've had flying across America. But anyway, that's all the time we have today. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Traditionalist. And we will be back uh, again with another episode in a few more days of The Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.